Hi, I am Dr. Cesar Limhoko, and you are listening to Not Elsewhere Classified. You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to to not to not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. 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 Classified. This episode has been sponsored by IntegrityCoding.com. The goal of Integrity Coding is to serve their clients with quick and accurate billing and coding at a fair and competitive price. Coming up on August 10th, Integrity Coding will be hosting a 10-week AAPC Certified Professional Coder Exam Prep Course, which includes ICD-10 and CPT and coding guidelines, extensive coding scenarios per coding section, and you will be taught the methodology, strategies, and tips that will give you an edge on helping you pass your exam. To learn more about Integrity Coding, their upcoming prep course, and future Integrity Coding events, go to IntegrityCoding.com. Again, that's IntegrityCoding.com. Schools around the corner, do you have an idea where you plan to get your medical coding and building education? Consider CareerStep. CareerStep offers online courses, flexible scheduling, and a HEMA-approved curriculum. After graduation, you get a voucher to take your CCA or CPC exam. CareerStep is also a My Career Advancement account, approved school funding for military spouse education. For the month of August, our listeners can get a free laptop or $400 off tuition, a Kindle Fire for your digital textbooks, and a 100 e-gift card for back-to-school shopping. To redeem this great offer, you'll need to enroll by August 15th by going to careerstep.medicalcodinggeek.com. That's careerstep.medicalcodinggeek.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number two. I'm totally blown away on the progress of the podcast. Even though we just started, I'm seeing lots of potential and growth. Help this podcast get noticed by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment and you'll get a shout out in the next episode. I want to thank everybody who has provided positive feedback on the podcast so far. Erin Bristow, who says she loves the podcast and has become a total fan. Summer Bams, who can't wait to listen to the upcoming episodes. James Schumer, who enjoyed the information provided by Shalita Huffman. Noel Gillis says, good suggestions on how to network. One of the best feedback came from a future guest who said the podcast provides a human touch. Speaking of feedback, I also wanted to let you all know we started a discussion group on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and do a group search for Not Elsewhere Classified or NEC Podcast. Every other week, I do a 30-minute Facebook Live radio broadcast called The Subsequent Encounter. In these encounters, I give my thoughts on the recent episodes and also offer a quick Q&A session. Next episode is the Sunday following this episode and every other week. I look forward to seeing you all there. Today, we have Cesar Limhoko. Dr. Cesar Limhoko is an independent clinical documentation improvement consultant and part of the editorial board for the ICD-10 Monitor. For more than 25 years, Dr. Cesar Limhoko has focused on assisting hospitals with the improvement of clinical documentation and delivered clinical documentation improvement services throughout the United States. Dr. Limhoko has built a reputation of integrity and accuracy through the commitment to documentation and coding excellence that leads to accurate reporting of patient data. His philosophy is to provide the most accurate documentation of the patient encounter through team building with stakeholders and peer-to-peer physician education, with a principal focus on the underlying clinical truth. So we talk about a wide variety of topics today, including the epiphany and finding his niche in clinical documentation improvement, the evolution of the CDI industry, the clinical truth, what is it, why is it important, what makes a successful CDI program, and that I mentioned we're going to talk about clinical documentation improvement. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Cesar Limhoko. Enjoy. <laughs> just as if we're just talking normal. Anyway. Okay. All right. So uh, I do want to welcome everybody to the podcast, Not Elsewhere Classified. I have here a very special guest. 
me and Dr. Limhoko, Cesar Limhoko. Uh, Dr. Limhoko, say hello to everybody. Well, hello, everyone. It's <laughs> nice to be here, Brian. Uh, wonderful. Well, I, again, I appreciate you uh, for being here. So um, let's go ahead and get started. I do have a, a lot of questions, and I'm sure there's a lot that you want to share uh, to our audience. Uh, before we begin, let's go ahead and start off with uh, telling the audience a little bit about yourself. I know I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction, but you know, kind of give us give the audience kind of where you came from and and how you got to where you are now. Oh, that's a long history. Well, keep Let it. Remember, yeah, we, we have sixty minutes, so yes. <laughs> <trying> we... to... <laughs> <laughs> well, it started back, you know, um, going through medical school training, taking care of patients. And at a certain point, you know, um, I had an epiphany. And I felt that there was something else out there that I was meant to do. So I started looking for a niche. And that niche came out to be this. Um, Back in the 80s, um, I would say 85, 86, um, way back when I was working, I decided to go and explore. And my exploration got me to uh, actually Blue Cross of California. And, and they taught me coding. So I, that's you know I, where I learned uh, ICD-9 codes and inpatient coding and what have you and it you know it it got me interested and and um from then on i i happened to move to new york um following my family to new york and um in new york um i had moved to a job at the Hospital Association for the State of New York, Greater New York Hospital Association. And um, one of the first things I was actually ordered to do was uh, to do a three-day, kind of like a coding course that they were going to market out there and have coders in all of the hospitals in the metropolitan area, metropolitan New York area, uh, come for a seminar, you know. So I said, well, this is the first thing I'm going to do this. So what do I do? Uh, I opened up the ICD-9 book. I went through ch chapter by, first, of course, the uh, uh, MDCs, major diagnostic categories. Then you go to chapter by chapter by chapter. And that's how I did it. Um, and the way I did it was I tried to open up a window to help the coders understand where those diagnoses, where those procedures come from. So to give them an eye of what it is to be on the other side, to be on the clinician side. And they were very appreciative and um, it was very successful. Um, in those days, uh, we did DRG validation reviews. So um, I was working with nurses and other uh, coding specialists and would go from all the client hospitals in the hospital association and we would do audits. And um, I would get um, sometimes asked, to speak to the medical staff. And that's where the documentation improvement started, I would say. This was, this was back in, I don't know, 90, 1991. I was working for the hospital association from 90 to 95, I believe. So that's my first taste of documentation improvement. From there, um, I moved on to, where did I go after that? I, I, I went to work for Deloitte and Touche um, in the consulting arm. We, so my client base uh, expanded not just, you know, from, from the state of New York 
to nationwide. And uh, so I got a good exposure of, of what, it, what healthcare was uh, throughout the nation, which is very interesting. From then on, I moved to the other side. I'm not sure if you remember um, the Payment Air Prevention Program. It's a program that was established by the Quality Improvement Organizations and for the state of New York, it was called IPRO. I was a senior director and one of the things that we did was we put out initiatives there, initiatives to help hospitals make sure that they're doing things right. The coding and documentation is there uh, that would be in line with what the true condition of what the patient has. From Deloitte, well, no, I, I passed Deloitte and I was now at IPRO. And then from IPRO, I did some consulting. I had my own consulting firm at some point. I'm, I'm, I'm building it to the point where I met Dr. Gold. We had somehow learned of each other through conferences. Uh, there was a time that um, both of us were actually invited to be uh, members of a panel, of uh, a panel for uh, Medicare's um, Advantage Plus, Medicare Advantage Plus. We were, uh, so we were there. Gloria Ann Bryant was there. Uh, there were three physicians, myself, uh, Dr. Gold, and Chief Medical Officer for, I think, Kaiser Permanente. And so um, we talked and we said, you know, we'll keep in touch. And then we actually bid on the same project at some point, a year or so after that in Chicago. And it was um, you know, a whole bunch of consulting firms were bidding for the job. And it was narrowed down to, would you believe it, between myself and him. And um, before they made the final decision, he asked me, why don't we just, you know, get together and work together? And, and that's how I ended up at DCBA. That was 2005, October 2005. I joined uh, DCBA as its first full-time employee. There were other contractors working with uh, Bob Gold at that point, but um, they decided to make me their first full-time employee. So that was 2005, almost 12 years ago. And the rest is history. I've been doing this now, um, you know, establishing CDI programs, doing audits, doing provider education, doing coding, clinical, in-servicing, um, and and that's and that brings us to today. <laughs> it brings us to today, right? So, you, so a question I did have um, for you, Dr. Limhoko, is that you said back in the 90s, that's where you had a, uh, I guess, that point where you realized documentation is key. So do you think like in the 90s, that's where the beginnings of CDI kind of get started? I would say so. Because at first, you know, it's funny because before then, there was a dysfunction, you know, people didn't know that it had to be documented. <laughs> no, right. Yeah, people just thought, you know, everybody in the industry just thought that coders come up with these codes from somewhere. They don't know where. <laughs> and it's so funny, but. That's but what then, happened back then, yeah. Especially with then, the, the paper-based record, too, also. Right, right. And, and, you know, and, and. People didn't fully understand what coding was about. People didn't understand where those codes are coming from. Mm -hmm. They just thought that the coders are just picking out of a hat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially when it comes to, like, for example, what's the principal diagnosis? Oh, the coders, you know, pick one, which one is the going to be, you know, 
they eat the most. Oh gosh. And that's and that's it. <laughs> oh man, it's oh it's unbelievable. So so you think there was less accountability back then compared yes. to now? Okay. Yeah, so I think that, yes. that definitely is something that we'll touch on. Is the to me when I feel like you know when you talk about the the, the transition, I think more accountability is what's happening. So you were saying? Yes, um, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, we've come a long way from back then, you know, from the '90s, but we still haven't come to the full realization of truly what this is all about. Um, the industry, the CDI industry, is still, I believe, evolving to that point, you know, and and that's how um, I, I came up with, as you well know, the the idea about the clinical truth. Right. Okay. So we'll hold on to that clinical hold on to that clinical truth. Right. So you mentioned the clinical truth, which comes to my next thing is how did we connect, right? And so we, you can definitely I, I can definitely tell a story with that is. Uh, you know, uh, both of us are on LinkedIn, of course. This is how we initially connected. And uh, I'm searching through, you know, some articles and I find Dr. Limhoko's article. Uh, and I was reading it through. I was thoroughly impressed, you know, in, in regards to what CDI was and what CDI should be. And then there was that phrase, the clinical truth. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> wow. You know, I'd like, you know, just like how you had the epiphany, the light switch turn on. That happened to me, you know, and I, at the time I, I was, you know, I, I'm still a CDI specialist. So at that time, when, when I read that, I said, well, that, that makes damn sense. You know, the clinical truth, that's what it should be. Because for me, uh, I have a coding background. And for me, you know, it's just coding the charts, coding the charts, coding the charts. But when you, when I read that, I was like, well, now it makes sense because now it requires more than just assigning codes, you know, picking the codes out of the magic hat and putting <laughs> putting it in the encoder. Now it requires a little bit more uh, reviewing from a clinical perspective, understanding the clinical perspective. And uh, I think that's where we definitely got connected. So immediately I hit the, the connect button. I said, like, I got to connect with this guy. <laughs> and then uh, I think the rest is history, right? And so now we <laughs> here we are today. Uh, having you on this podcast, right? Yes, uh, it's interesting though. They like um, you know when 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 if you really think about it, how do how how do codes come about? Why was it generated? And and that by itself, the answer to that sometimes get lost in in the hustle and bustle and and everything that goes on in the industry. But really what, what it's there is it's supposed to stand for something, right? You know, and, and it's, you cannot really um, divide it or, or, or take it away from what it's supposed to stand for. And what it's supposed to stand for is really what we're talking about, the clinical truth. Right. Okay. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me ask you this question too. And, and remember, well, I guess when we when we had met, um, I asked the question: Is before before you get into explaining the clinical truth, how did you come up with that phrase, the clinical <laughs> truth? Um, I wrote about this also about how I came about it. Um, I was in a medium-sized hospital um, out here in the Midwest, and I just finished. Um, presenting to the med exec committee. It's, I'm always talking to the med exec committee, it looks like. So it was fine. I was telling them what the, the program was about and what are the, you know, what are the benefits and all of that stuff. Well, at the end of the meeting, um, the others left, the others, but the CEO and the CMO stayed behind. So I thought that, oh, okay, they wanted to discuss something more. And the CMO started to ask the question, asking about, well, I understand the effects, the benefits of the program with reimbursement, length of stay, quality measures, core measures, uh, medical necessity, um, outcomes, measurement, you know, morbidity, mortality, and all of that stuff. But what is this really all about? 
And then he said, let me be the devil's advocate here, uh, Dr. Limoko. Um, I really want to get to what, what, what makes it tick. And I'll give you a, a question, he said. I'll ask you a question. Um, let's say I, um, I, as a physician, document sepsis on this patient that comes in, you know, um, from day one to day until discharge. Sepsis is well documented and consistent from HMP to discharge summary and progress notes altogether. Will that stick? He asked me. I said, well, it needs to be clinically supported. I said, well, let me put it this way. If it needs, at that point, it was sepsis 1.0 criteria. And we'll get so, into oh, we'll get so, into that too with the sepsis too. That's my next section for you. Uh, okay, well, and then so he was asking me, uh, needs criteria, mm -hmm. and then the patient gets better the next day, and I dis discharge the patient the next day. And I've been saying sepsis all along. Will it be, will, will it, will it hold? Who is going to say that what I wrote is wrong? Who is going to say that? I said, well, it needs to be based on the clinical truth. And then I started talking, blah, 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 blah. And he, before I could start, go on to my next sentence, I said, that's it, that's it. You got it. And, and, and I said, and I forgot what I said. I said, what did I say? What did I say? He said, it has to be based on the clinical truth. <laughs> because you can get into a situation where he said, she said kind of situation. But if, if, if the whole documentation is based on clinical truth, that's what's going to hold. And that's, and that's where it came from. And I, I, and I, you know, <laughs> I've, I've seen this CMO um, almost every year at, at the ACTUS conference. And then, and, and I've told him, and I've asked him, I remember the first time I, I, I wrote the, I, I wrote the article, this, this story in an article, actually one of my first articles. And I asked him, do you mind if I mention your name <laughs> after the fact? I didn't put his name in there. I said, no, that's okay. You can, you can mention my name. <laughs> but, but he, 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 you know, he, he, he remembers that and he, and he, it has made quite a, a delible imprint on, on his psyche that, you know, about the clinical truth. Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. You know, when, when you told it, to, when I read it, I'm like, I got to meet this guy because, uh, you know, with people who, who make that, just two words just made a difference, you know, and I, I guess what what people need to understand is that 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 phrase alone and hopefully as people and we have coders, we have aspiring CDIs, we have HIM uh, professionals who are a part of this audience. You know, one thing I tell people, especially when they're beginning, is that they have to understand this clinical truth, meaning and my in my opinion is, you know, not just looking at the coding, not just looking at the guidelines, not just looking what's written, but you know, truly what is presenting in the patient. If you don't have an understanding of, you know, what the patient is truly, you know, uh, going through, you know, with the supported clinical and, you know, the indicators and, and everything else, then it, it's not, it doesn't make sense. If you don't feel the patient's pain at that point uh, or understand the certain processes, especially with sepsis, which we'll be talking about later in a second, uh, you know, it's not going to hold. So when you say holding, what do you mean by it needs to hold? When it, when when the clinical what what do you mean by holding? You probably tell the audience of what what does it mean to hold. Holding the clinical truth. Yeah, yeah. The what documentation we... is based on the clinical truth. Um, what I what I'm trying to say is that um, you know, there are clinical parameters. You know, there are coding guidelines. There are all of these things um, that are actually put out there to help direct you to one thing, and that's the clinical truth. Many people get stuck in 
the trees cannot see the forest of the clinical truth. You know, those very same guidelines, the coding clinics, the clinical parameters, the sepsis 3.0 criteria, people sometimes get stuck on, on, on those things, on, on the details and forget that there is a bigger, bigger thing, which is the clinical truth. And that's what everyone should be going for. Um, let me give you an, another example, you know, like, like the law legalities, you know, um, you know, you have two lawyers fighting and interpreting what the law is saying. But those laws and regulations that we have in the country have an intention. The intention is getting to what is right, what is just, right? But, but some may use the same laws, same regulations, as to undermine certain things or as a loophole to get away with stuff, you know, like using the sepsis 1.0 criteria, you know, <laughs> two out of four criteria, leukocytosis, fever, everybody has sepsis because it satisfies criteria, it satisfies clinical parameters supposedly. Really, there has to be an, a higher thing that goes beyond all of that. And that higher thing is the clinical truth. And that's what we have to hold on to. And um, I think also you had mentioned before, and, and when I listened to you speak also, is that is that in the, in the case now where things are getting denied, and I think most of your articles now have shifted you know, from many things, and now you're talking into more a denial thing as far as your your most recent articles uh, that you see there, especially on the ICT-10 monitor and also on LinkedIn. Uh, but uh, in terms of the clinical truth, when it what I understand, and probably you can elaborate more, is that if it gets coded, right, and then it gets sent to uh, for uh, to the insurance company or whoever it may be, and then it gets audited. What happens at that point? With and in how do what happens at that point and in relationship to the clinical truth? Can you kind of elaborate on that aspect? When it first gets audited, uh, the first line of audit usually are from um, other coders, other coding specialists, or maybe even nurses. Okay. And what they apply in their audit conclusions are the rules and regulations that are embodied in the coding clinics and the coding guidelines. So it becomes a, if we get back into that he said, she, can, she said kind of situation because you can use certain statements to go on your side and then the hospital can use certain regulations and rules and laws to defend their side so it's it's a he said she said kind of a situation now if you bring it up to the next level of review then you will now have the clinician the physician involvement and the physicians are not coders. So it will be a matter of, does this patient really have this condition? And that's where the clinical truth comes. Okay. So like basically for, for, for those that are understanding in terms of audits, you know, when, especially from the front end, it's based on coding, but if it gets denied, just keep in mind that the coding um, the coding rules, the coding guidelines kind of go out the window at a certain point because it returns back in terms of a clinical validity. And so this is why it's definitely important for, 
for hospitals, for even um, uh, outpatient uh, areas, physician offices, to definitely kind of consider CDI because to me, from a CDI, it definitely is being proactive, and you can definitely attest to that, uh, Dr. Limhoko, to be a proactive to to kind of like I don't know about preventing it in, in totality, but yes. more about lessening it. You know, exactly. so so that's the general idea of that. If, if we can all align ourselves and align ourselves to the clinical truth, then the product that we put out there will be something that will withstand scrutiny. Right. And when you're talking about alignment, I think it's also meaning the, the it has to be shifted forward, you know, uh, not from the back end, not when it's after, you know, when this, when everything is said and done. Yes. I think it should be shifted forward uh, in terms of when you're th- talking about clinical truth, this means more education, more awareness, yes. more accountability. Yes. <laughs> we talk yes. about that too. Uh, yes. I think. And, and, and that's what. Go ahead. That's what I mean by alignment. Because you need to align all the players coming from the top, from administration to department heads, to supervisory level, to coders, to CDIs, to what have you. Everyone needs to be needs to be sure what they what they're in this for, and if they're in this for, it's less than the clinical truth. That's when all hell <laughs> breaks loose. If, if we're going to go just for a reimbursement, you know, uh, goal as our, as our mantra, we're going to do a lot of different things to make that happen. Intransigencies occur. Things that we do for the almighty dollar, which may not, which is not sometimes not based on the clinical truth. Right. And, and, and I think that's true too, because, you know, especially early on, uh, when CDI came about, at least when I started, uh, back in 2000, 2006, um, that's, that was drilled in my head is the understanding that CDI is all about making money. And so, especially when we're talking about uh, the implementation of the recovery audit contractors, right? Then then the pendulum kind of shifted the other way, right? So, you know, we're talking about trying to make uh, more documentation to make more money. Now it's a total shift because of the idea of accountability uh, has been implemented throughout the years, even from the DRG perspective back in the 80s up until now, right? And uh, now we have more accountability. Now, meaning that there needs to be more, again, as we had mentioned, a more of an awareness of what's being done and more of awareness of really, like you say, in alignment with the clinical truth, how the patient is really doing, you know, in terms of its severity and also the risk or mortality. Okay. So I guess for it's those that... It's not just are... about what we can get away with. <laughs> right. Which is some people go with, you know, well, can we get, can we get away with this? Mm-mm, that's, that's not, that's not the right philosophy. Right. And I guess when we're looking at it, you're talking about from a, from, from a fraudulent aspect in terms of taking those rules and misconstruing the rules. But if you stay away, stray away from that clinical truth, that definitely gets very, uh, like you say, very hectic. Um, so for those that are listening, again, the, the clinical truth is, is really what is the basis, and you can, I guess you can attest to that, Dr. Limhoko, is should be the basis of what CDI should be. Not right? just CDI, but everybody in the hospital. Just in healthcare, right? In healthcare. But it's very important that it be the ultimate goal of healthcare. Because otherwise, all of this data that we're putting out there, if it's fraudulent, it's not going to help us improve healthcare. It, you know, it, how will we know that what we are doing is is really, you know, helping the patient if the data is all messed up? I mean, <laughs> people don't understand that this data is what's going to be used by researchers and epidemiologists and everybody else to make certain conclusions and to make certain decisions as to what's best for the patient. And if that data is 
you know, it's garbage, it won't help us. It garbage in, help. garbage out, right? Exactly. And that's what it comes down to. It's really all about that. It's a clinical truth. It's all, it's about the clinical truth because the clinical truth will be captured in data, which will help the patient and which will improve patient care. So you mentioned data and, and I'm gonna, I kinda, I guess, touch for those that are especially our health information management professionals. Uh, what, what Dr. Lemhoko is talking about is, is, you know, from a historical perspective is the fact that, you know, back in the what the 80s or the 90s we were using paper right and so it's difficult to get data from paper of course because of the the manual labor now that we have electronic health records of course uh it's it makes it so much better but in the beginning stages of the electronic health record we didn't have that much data now moving into 2017 we have lots <laughs> and lots and lots of data and so what dr limhoko is mentioning that you know, it's very imperative early on when you're trying to collect this data or even entering this data from a CDI standpoint, from a medical coding standpoint, from an HIM standpoint, from a healthcare standpoint. And, and I mentioned garbage in, garbage out. It, it's, it's imperative that at that point, then when you're entering this data, that it is what it is. It matches, that aligns up with the clinical truth and even more and just patient safety, patient quality. And by the time when you look at things and trying to improve healthcare in the future state, you have that quality data that you can make better decisions in the future, right? That's right. Okay. So let's—that <laughs> was a—that was pretty kind of like a Confucius moment, right? So for yes. those that are definitely confused, I mean, it, it definitely—it it took me a while, right? Whenever oh, I, just, I heard those two those two words, clinical truth, but when when you listen to Dr. Limhoko a couple times, it, it finally and, and and if you apply the practice. Uh, in your coding, in your CDI work, uh, and anywhere, just in clinicals, it it becomes more it becomes uh, apparent that it, it needs to be there. Okay. And you know what? If if you're going for the clinical truth, mm -hmm. it makes everyone else, from especially the physicians, and that's very important because you need physician buying for this thing to work, right? The documentation that you need it makes it easier to swallow because if it's, if it's just a game that we're playing for money, you know, it, you know, for anybody, not just decisions, it becomes like, really? I mean, this is what it, this is, this is what it's all about. It's about the almighty dollar. It's, it's, you won't get a lot of satisfaction as a healthcare worker, if that's what it's all about. So it definitely comes in. It, it comes into my next question because I, we I wanted to, you to get into CDI, but I think you've already touched on a lot of questions <laughs> that I already had for you. Uh, let's see, what does it say? Okay, uh, my question is 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 the idea of those that are establishing CDI programs, right? So I'm sure everybody in the nation wants to establish one or they have one. Okay. They have one, but does it? I guess the next question: Does it work? Is it effective? Ah, that's the question. <laughs> that's and, the question. And, that's, and that's where we get back to: Why did they establish those CDI programs? Exactly. And also which comes? I guess. Programs. I guess you could also answer this question too before you continue, Dr. Mohoko. Is is the fact that um, what does it take? on top of the clinical truth, of course. What does it take to have a successful CDI program? Uh, first of all, alignment. Alignment of all the stakeholders, as I said before, from administration to everybody that is involved in putting, it, putting this out. That's number one. Secondly, you have to have an alignment also of, of, of what you're doing. Um, you have to have an alignment of what this diagnosis means. What is respiratory failure? What is sepsis? And you have to have a level playing field so everyone is on the same page 
And when somebody says this, everybody understands that. So you need to have education. It's very important. Everyone needs to be educated from top down so that they understand what this is about. And, and, and also depending on where you are in that, in that, um, in that facility, the more information that you need, you know, for, for physicians, what is respiratory failure, what is respiratory insufficiency. Okay. Next thing I do want to talk about, um, Dr. Lomhoko, and then after that, uh, I'm going to wrap it up with something else. Wait, is... I, I want to talk more. Oh, you want? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Lomhoko, my, my SD card is about to be filled up, man. Okay. Oh, my goodness. If you want a part two, we can have a part okay. two, you know? We can schedule one. If you love to, I mean, I know you love to talk to Lomo, Dr. Lomhoko. We could do another one. I'm sure after, once we, once we, um, once we air this one, oh, we want him again, you know? And so, Probably we'll talk about other things and, and, and more a little bit about you. Because that's, that's what I'm talking about, especially with this podcast, is that uh, for those that come in, it's more or less like, it's, you know, it's, this is not a webinar. And uh, I want people to come in, feel comfortable, and really, like, you, you want to talk more. That's fine with me. But again, my, 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 SD, card can only, my SD card can only hold so much. All right. I'll, then, I'll, I just want to make yeah, one, go ahead. one comment. Before, you know, at the start of the CDI pro, um CDI industry in the beginning, you know, physicians, you know, it's, they're, they're really very resistant to doing anything. See, this is what I said, and that's how it's going to say, especially the older physicians. And I've seen a change of it to the other side. And now I see some physicians say, well, you know what? That's going to make more money. But, you know, and, and they're going the pendulum has swung to the other side for some. And, and you see a lot of patients coming out of surgery with post-op respiratory failure, encephalopathy, shock. Really, do they have all of that? Or are, are these things, the hypotension, the a little bit um, hypoxia, um, and um, you know, are, are, are just part and parcel of the process? after a, an open heart surgery or a big surgery. You know, and then it's, it, it, it puts a bad taste in my mouth, especially when I hear that from other physicians and then say, you know what, you know, the hospital doesn't, and, and this is thing, you know, in the beginning they say, oh, it's just the hospital is going to get money from this, not going to affect my pockets. And now the other thing that I'm starting to hear is that, you know, the hospitals don't really get paid a lot for the utilization of resources. And, you know, I'm just trying to help the hospitals. And, really? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> so if you have a lot of different things, different perspectives, and different ideas of what this is all about. And really, a, a good CDI program needs to, to dispel all of these myths and, and really come down to what it really should be all about, which is the clinical truth. Right. Good, the clinical truth, good data, um, and pushing accountability. That's what I've been always saying is that mm -hmm. in any program, accountability from the top down. You mentioned uh, in regards to, you know, just getting it successful, I believe it should start from the very, 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 very top. Yes. Uh, you're talking about the, uh, the administration, the executives, they, you know, before even the physicians, the exec, the administration needs to totally understand that. And then it should be uh, a total paradigm shift from their, from their focused mind of the bottom line in terms of reimbursement into more about just improving quality because now we have initiatives you know into place where you're talking about more value-based more customer service-based um, the, the implementation at least for physicians the the macro uh, is with more on their documentation that's something that's coming about and always changing this, uh, this shift the, yeah. is really what was needed yeah. because in in the past I've had conversations with like CFOs and they're complaining their CMI is low. So, and then I study the data and study, you know, the whole thing, you know, medical record documentation, the coding and what have you. And I realized that, you know, a lot of their patients 
uh, chest pains and other unnecessary admissions. And I'm thinking, you know what? If you just admit patients who are who really need an inpatient care, level of care, all those all those benign DRGs, chest pains, abdominal pains, they'll fall, they'll fall. And it will increase your CMI because now you're really taking care of the sicker patient. And 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 I remember a conversation. Well, I gotta hold on to the volume. I need the volume. You see, and, and that's why the industry is is changing from a volume-based industry to more of a quality-based exactly. industry. Right. Good point. Because you know what? These patients who don't need to be in the hospital, you're exposing them to risks. Right. And I've seen patients that should not have been in the hospital and they don't come out of the hospital. You know what I mean? In other words, mm. they die. Right, exactly. And some of the stuff that's unnecessary uh, or perhaps maybe, you know, they were... You're ex if, if you're exposing the patients to high risk of infections and things that, you know, um, you know happen with, in, 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 in the hospital, you know, especially for those that are the, the physicians that that you know kind of put those severe diagnoses in, mm -hmm. and then make it worse, and then make it seem like well they got to return back, and mm -hmm. it's totally unnecessary. Or holding them, uh, you know, especially if they have like sign and symptoms, well, just send them home. You know, right? Uh, what you know, especially when we're looking at you know uh, length of stay, population. yeah, like length of stay and stuff like that. If once they reach out of that, why are they really there? Uh, you know, that's a good indicator to, to kind of question the physician, well, what's going on? Perhaps then that's where the documentation needs to be a little bit more uh, substantial uh, to support the, the, the stay. I remember way back in the 80s, we had patients staying in the hospital for years, for a year or more. You know, and it was like, patient is in for a year? Why and then and then and then you look at the chart and you review a, a year's worth of records, and then you realize they came in for something that's not really that's it's a little benign, you know, not really something heavy. And then because the patient stayed and things happen, you know, they get bed sores, they go into sepsis, they, and, and they and they never get out of the hospital. It's like. It's like that's stuff that shouldn't have happened in the first place. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Lamoko, we've reached our time. Before I guess we end things off, um, what what are you currently doing now? And I guess if you want to share, uh, what what is Dr. Lamoko doing uh, as far as uh, what you you're probably doing consulting work uh, currently right now? Maybe you want to share what you're doing. Yes, um, I'm continuing the good work, the mission of catching clinical truth and you know yes 80 percent of the hospitals in the country have cdi programs but as you said are they doing it the right way are they basing it on the clinical truth or are they doing it for the money and unless we get everybody on the same page of what this is really all about and what this is for then my mission continues awesome and so as a part of conclusion, the one thing I also want to ask you is uh, what uh, final words do you want to share with our audience? Kind of like a, a best words of advice. You know what? I'm out of words right now. Moko <laughs> <laughs> is out of words because you already I've, said everything, right? I've, say, I've said everything that I have to say. And really, um, I think the best thing I could say is I, I should end with a question. What are you in this for? What are you doing this for? As a coder, as a CDI specialist, as a physician, as, as an administrator, as a C-suite, what are you doing this for? If you're doing it for the right re reasons, and that is for capturing the clinical truth and you're doing 
All right, guys. So again, thank you guys very much. And Dr. Dr. Limhoko, thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Well, there you have it. I sure do hope you have a better understanding of the clinical truth. You can only understand the true meaning of the clinical truth by applying this concept in your medical coding and clinical documentation reviews. I want to thank Dr. Cecil Limhoko again for being our guest this week. Connect with him and his articles on LinkedIn and also ICD-10 Monitor. Coming up on the next episode of Not Elsewhere Classified. So here's 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 my advice. Uh, I think that you need to just embrace your profession. You need to think of yourself as being a value-added coder. Not Elsewhere Classified is presented and produced by Medical Coding Geek. Music was brought to you by 43 and Coyote Hearing. Medical Coding Geek offers tutoring and media services for the medical coding, health information, and CDI community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MED Coding Geek. That's MED Coding Geek. You can also find us on our website, medicalcodinggeek.com, where you can find and listen to all the podcast episodes plus the show notes from today. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. We would definitely appreciate it. And again, thank you for being part of this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui, and you have just listened to Not Elsewhere Classified. MedicalCodingGeek.com This podcast is supported by Weebly.com. Have a product? Building a company? You'll need a website. Create your site with Weebly's drag-and-drop website builder and responsive themes without any technical experience. Believe me, I built my website in under 30 minutes. It really is that easy. Listeners of this podcast will receive a 10% discount on any Weebly subscription plan or promote plan. To get this discount, go to Weebly. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot medicalcodinggeek.com. Again, that's Weebly dot medicalcodinggeek.com.